It might be challenging at first, a little bit, but I think you'll catch on quickly. Okay, kids, if you're particularly uh, alert to things, I think you'll be all right. The first one I already read. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Good. John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Right. Romans 13.8 Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Galatians 5.14 For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, You shall your neighbor as yourself. Colossians 3.12-14 Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone... Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on... Okay, now you can this right. Beyond all these things, put on... Love. love. Good. Um, <clears throat> are they getting easier, kids? You picking up on it? All right. Yeah. We, we got a few more to go here. As to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to... Love one another. 1 Timothy 1.5 The goal of our instruction is love. That's great. That's great. I'm trying to remember his name. Maggie. Nicholas. Is that right? Nicholas. Good. Good job, Nicholas. Um, <clears throat> Hebrews 10.24 Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. 1 John 4.11 Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John 13:34 A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Matthew 5:43 to 44 You've heard it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you love your enemies. 2 Peter 1 verses 5 through 7 Applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence knowledge in your knowledge, self-control, and your self-control, perseverance, in your perseverance, godliness, in your godliness, brotherly kindness, in your brotherly kindness, love. It's really quite astonishing if you think about it, how many times in Scripture we are commanded and exhorted to love one another. I mean, I've just given you a dozen or so passages of Scripture. Just a, that's just a small sample of the number of passages of Scripture that speak about love, about commanding believers to love one another. Commanding us to love. That doesn't even include loving God. None of those did. All those were in the context of loving others. And all of those, by the way, were those that had loved near the back end of them so that you could finish them off. But there, there are a bunch more that I, I could have quoted and I'll quote now that have loved maybe at the beginning. <clears throat> Romans 12.9 let love be without hypocrisy. 1 Corinthians 16.14 Let all that you do be done in love. Romans 12.10 Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. John 15.12 This is my commandment that you love one another. Galatians 5.6 For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Ephesians 5.12, walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. 1 Thessalonians 5.12, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. Hebrews 13, verse 1, Let love of the brethren continue. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. 1 John 4, 19, We love because He first loved us. And even this list isn't exhaustive. I've given you 12, 12, I've given you a dozen, 24 different commands explicitly to love one another. As I went through the Scripture, I counted up more than 50 commands in all the scriptures to love one another. You think God is trying to tell us something? I think He is. And on top of this, even the exhortations, there are many examples in scriptures of those who love and are being commended for their love. 
which by explicit example then have implication upon our lives. Well, I want us to look at one verse of Scripture this morning that exhorts us to love one another. If you've not done so already, I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. As we continue our exposition, we land this morning in verse 22. By the way, I hope to finish chapter 1 next week. And I'm really looking forward to talking about the Word of God. But this week, I felt it good to just stop and, um, and linger here in one verse, 1 Peter 1, 21-22. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. That's the verse we're going to look at today. Since you have... In obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. My message is entitled this morning, contrary to the bulletin, Genuine Love. Genuine Love, because I think we see genuine love right here in verse 22. I want to look at the foundations of genuine love and then the characteristics of genuine love. The foundations of genuine love, by this I simply mean the the things that ground you in your love, right? The the facts of life that compel you to love. Because God just doesn't say love without giving us reasons. He gives us reasons, and not only reasons, He gives us foundations, things upon which our love must be established. And the first one is this, it's regeneration. Regeneration is our first foundation to genuine love. Let me just ask, do you see regeneration here in verse 22? Who sees it? Do you see it, Tom? Oh, 23. There it is. I was trying to trying to mess you up a little bit. 23 is where it is. We're going outside of the scope because look at what 23 says. Go ahead and read it, Tom. You got it. You found it. You read it. There it is right there. You have been born again. And if you notice here, even it says, for you've been born again, that is... A translational issue, it really says, having been born again. But having been born again is the thing that establishes the foundation of how and why it is that you love. Regeneration. I've used this term regeneration to describe this because it's a theological term often associated with this idea of being born again. The idea of regeneration refers to someone who has been generated again. They've been regenerated. They've been changed. They've been transformed. It's used, I think... Um, once in the scriptures, Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Maybe it's used again. A couple more times. In the resurrection, regeneration, it talks about sometimes. But Titus 3, 5, it speaks about it. It says that God has saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So in other words, God saved us by His mercy. How? By regenerating us. By changing us. By causing us to be born again. See, when God saves us, He changes us. He renews us. Makes us so that almost we're so different, it's like we were born again. And that's what Jesus said, John chapter 3. We must be to enter the kingdom of God. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul describes the event. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Right? He's changed. He's a new creature. He is different. And I would just say this, to genuinely love others, you must first have a changed heart. By nature, we're self-centered creatures. Right? Mike, right? Yes. Andy? Yeah? Amy? Yes, we're self-centered creatures. I know I am, and I know you are. But to love, we need to be not self-centered, we need to be what? We need to be... Others centered. And in order to be other centered in our life, we need to be changed. And God needs to change us. And that's what He does when He regenerates us and He changes us and equips us, prepares us to love. <clears throat> Look at this connection in um, 1 John 4, verse 7. Just listen to it. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Look at it. Our call to love comes from God. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And then it says this. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. If you love, it's because you've been born of God. You've been regenerated by Him. When babies are born of earthly parents, they bear resemblance to their mother and father. 
You can just look at uh, members of family and say, oh, yep, they all look alike. Um, our son David was born just about five months ago, and uh, I can't tell you the number of people that have come up and seen him and said, yep, he looks like a Brandon, all right. And uh, I can see it as well. In fact, even this morning, I went to pick up this little guy uh, in the bed, and he, like a big boy, rolled over and was kind of lying there like that, all happy, like, look at what I did, Dad. And I came in and looked at him, and I flashed back in my mind to 13 years ago when my daughter Carissa was born. And there, it wasn't totally light. It was kind of in the dark. It's not haze. It's not twilight. It's a dawn break or whatever. It's just as it started to get a little bit light, it's when I picked him up and I saw him and he looked just like my Carissa did 13 years ago because there's a family resemblance. So it is with God as well. When people are born of God, they are born again and we then resemble God. And if God is love, how will born again people act? They will love. There is a, a connection there. In fact, these things are so fundamental to love that the next verse in 1 John, 1 John 4, 8, says the same thing in opposite. In 4, verse 7, he says, everyone who loves is born of God. In 4, verse 8, he says, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In other words, if you don't love, it's probably an indication that you're not born of God. Suppose my wife and I would adopt a child from Nepal dark-skinned, brown eyes, slight Asian resemblance. When you looked at that child, you could say, something doesn't match there. And we say, yes, well, this is our child. And yes, it is because we've adopted the child. But the child wasn't born of us. The child was born of other parents. And so it is likewise with people as well. You look at someone and you say, boy, they're not a loving person you can pretty well assume that they've not been born of God because they don't bear that family resemblance. Oh, they might be attending church, might have a smile on their face when you see them, might nod up and down the preaching of the Word, may love to sing praises to God, may love to swing their hands back and forth, but you know, if they're an unloving person, they may well not be born of God. Because if they lack love, 1 John 4, 8 says they don't know God. I mean, that's how, connection, how fundamental this connection is between love and being born again. They are integrally connected. I'm calling it a foundation of love. They're also connected in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9. Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he said, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. So think about this. Paul's writing these people in Thessalonica. He says, I'm going to write about the love of the brethren, but you don't even need me to write to you because you're taught of God. Now, I don't think God told them audibly of how it is they ought to love. I think what it is is that when they were regenerated and changed, believed in Christ, I think that God's nature through regeneration was passed on to them and then by nature they were taught to love. That's what Christians do. Christians love. In fact, earlier in 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul identified their great labor of love as one of the chief characteristics by which he discerned that God had chosen them, knowing, beloved, his choice of you because your work of faith and your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope that you have. That's this connection. right? You don't need to instruct a baby boy to love playing with trucks. Right? It's how God made them to be. You get your little boys and they run... Right? How many of you little boys can say yes? And you don't need to teach little girls how to play with dolls. Right? That's how God made them to be. Right? You're like, oh, let's play house, you know. And they'll find anything that will talk to each other, girls will. It's how God made them to be. And likewise, you don't need to instruct a Christian to love the brethren. It's how God made them to be. You know, there's a reason why regeneration and love are so intricately bound together. It's because there's no reason for any of us to love sacrificially and selflessly here in this life unless we're living for something greater than this life, right? And the only reason that allows you to not to be selfish today but to give yourself to others is because you know something more important beyond this life, right? And that's what Peter was getting at when he said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He changes us and transforms us and gives us a different hope. A hope of heaven. A hope of God. And with that hope, then, we're able to be other-centered and love today. We have a future joy awaiting us. And so we don't need to find our joy in serving our own appetites, our own flesh and pleasures now. We know that our future joy fits us later. And we're gladly to give ourselves in genuine love because we're not living for ourselves. Because God has changed us. We're living for that day. It's a product of being born again. And in this sense, our regeneration is foundational to all biblical love. And here in chapter 1, verse 23, we see the same thing. Verse 22 calls us to love. Verse 23 gives the reason why we love because we've been regenerated by the the work of God. Well, let's look at the second foundation of genuine love. First was regeneration. Second is obedience. I want to read this and see if you can find it here in this verse. Obedience. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Do you see it there? Kids, I hope you saw it there. Nathan, did you see it there? Obedience? Yeah, I caught you dozing a little bit. But but you'll get it there. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls, our love for others comes from our obedience to the truth. I mean, it's, it's our obedience that gives us a desire then to love. In my introduction this morning, rattled off two dozen verses that talk about loving others. You want to be obedient to God? Be one who loves. It's as simple as that. Do you want to obey God? Then love other people. I had 24 verses. You know, I want to add another 12. Romans 13.10 Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Romans 14.15 If because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. The implication there is love your brother. So don't hurt him with the food that you eat in your freedom. 1 Corinthians 8.1 Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3. I already read them this morning. I read them again. If I speak with the tongues of men of angels but do not have love, I become a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy so as to know all mysteries and all knowledge, I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Paul simply says this. Pursue love. Ephesians 4, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. That's how we ought to walk. Ephesians 4, 16, describes the whole body, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. It's love that builds up the body. Philippians 1, 9, Paul's praying that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, Paul prayed, May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people. 1 Timothy 6.11, Paul instructs Timothy, Flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Pursue love, you man of God. 1 John 3.11, This is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John 3.23, This is His commandment that... We believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. we got 12 more verses from Scripture. Clearly call us to love one another. One of the foundations of love is obedience. Is there any of you here today who would deny that God has called you to love one another? Well, you just didn't, you just denied 36, 37 verses of Scripture. And I believe you've missed the whole thrust of the Scripture if you say that. I don't need to love Him. I don't need to love one another. You've denied the whole thrust of Scripture. Because it's obedience is why we love. In fact, Peter said this in the very first two verses of this epistle. This epistle, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ 
to these scattered aliens who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit that you may obey Jesus Christ to be sprinkled with His blood. When God chooses us, He calls us to obey. He calls us in obedience. He calls us to obey Jesus Christ. I wonder where Peter learned this from. Where do you think Peter learned this from? How about the mouth of Jesus? Peter heard Jesus talking with the disciples and saying this. He says, You guys didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should bear fruit, that your fruit would remain. So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He may give to you. And what's the fruit Jesus was looking for? John 15, verse 17. Next verse, Jesus says it. This I command you, that you love one another. When Jesus chose His twelve disciples, He chose them for a purpose that they might love one another. And Peter takes that teaching that he heard about Jesus and the disciples and he now takes it to us. He says that God has chosen us unto salvation that we might obey Jesus. And how do we obey Jesus? Is we obey Him by loving. In fact, Paul was so clear on the centrality of love that he actually said that love was the entire goal of why the apostle labored. If you'd say, Paul, what, what's the main goal of all your teaching? I mean, what are you trying to do with your sermons and your messages, with your teaching house to house, with your talking and your conversation? What, what are you trying to do, Paul? He said, there's one thing I'm trying to do. 1 Timothy 1.5 The goal of our instruction is love. The end of our instruction, the finished work of my instruction, I desire to see and find those who hear me loving one another. It's not doctrinal knowledge that I'm seeking to achieve. It's not people marveling at my teaching abilities. It's not people learning something new they've never, ever heard before. I want to instill within the heart of my hearers a greater love for one another. About James, wording I think Paul would say, I want people to be doers of the word, not merely hearers. And the word goes out often, Jesus says, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. And now the goal, the end of my teaching is I want them to love. The end of the day of ministering, Paul says he wants to see that fruit in the lives of other people. You know, that's my aim as well. You say, Steve, what are you trying to do at Rock Valley Bible Church? I want to see my teaching produce a genuine love among us. I mean, that's what Paul was trying to do. His goal was good enough for me. That's what I want to do. But you know, it's interesting. I can't force it. God needs to come and help. I can pray for love. I can model love. I can teach love. But I can't produce it. You know what's going to happen? It's going to happen when people in the church, out of obedience to God, say, God tells me to love. I'm just going to love. We'll get to the characteristics of what that love looks like later. But maybe you can resolve your mind now, before you see how hard it is on the backside, to say, you know what? I'm going to love as the Bible says I ought to love. That's the only way it's going to happen. When people say, I'm going to love the brethren. It makes a lot, means lots of sacrifice. It means lots of time. It means lots of effort. But that's what we're called to. We're called to love. But you've got to understand the foundations that Peter gives first. First foundation is regeneration from verse 23. Second is obedience. The third foundation here is this. It's purity. See if you can find this, kids. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Now this point, purity, is really closely connected to the other, my previous point. Because your love for one another is really a manifestation of your holiness and purity in your life. I mean, there are several verses that connect this together. Like I've been talking about First Timothy 1.5. Paul says this, The goal of our instruction is love, and he continues on, from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. I want the love that comes as a result of my teaching and my preaching my exhortations to be from a pure heart. And that's the foundation of love. You need to have a, a pure heart before you can love. It's really a foundation there. 
Another connection is in 1 Timothy 4.12 where Paul told Timothy, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. Live in a pure way, and in your purity also love others. I think you can see the connection between purity and obedience, or purity and love, or the foundation of purity when uh, you hit one of those summary statements. How about the whole law is summed up in this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Think about what was the law trying to do with people? What was it trying to do? Wasn't it trying to purify people? When they sinned, there was a sacrifice teaching people how to live differently, teaching them how to live a holy life. Wasn't that what it was about? And if that whole law, what it was trying to do, is summed up in love, doesn't that mean to, to, to love others is a pure life? I say the purity of life is a foundation for love. You will never love others, the Bible calls you to do, until you make a decision. You say, I want to live a pure life before my God. When you say, I want to live purely, then you will seek to love other people. A desire for purity comes first, and then comes this desire for love. I think about Galatians 5. Um, the deeds of the flesh... How many of those deeds of the flesh are, are like fighting and bickering and, and arguing and going back and forth, right? Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions. But you say, you know, I'm going to flee from those things. I want to I not walk in that corrupted way. I want to walk in a pure way. And how do you walk in a pure way? Well, for the Spirit, the first fruit there is love. And love, that's what a pure life looks like. You've purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. And it's right here you see really the context of First Peter. Peter's writing to suffering people, and these suffering in their suffering, Peter says there's no excuse for unrighteous behavior. Remember when he took the turn there in verse 13? He says, listen, here's the application. Prepare your minds for action. Fix your hope completely on the grace we brought to you at the revelation of Christ. Focus your hope there and be holy. Chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. Live in a holy life. Live before God as your, your holy, loving, fatherly judge. And I still think he's keeping on this application of a holy life here. He's talking about verse 22. You've purified your souls. The, the word there is, is um, from hagios, which is the same word that holiness is, right? You've, you've sanctified your souls for this end that you'd have a sincere love for the brethren. The foundation of love, all right? What are they? First one is what? Regeneration, second one is obedience, third one is purity. Okay, now we're going to look at the characteristics of genuine love. And Peter gives three characteristics in our text as well. The first is this, sincerity. See if you can see it there, 1 Peter 1, 22. Sincerity. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Now, the literal way to translate this term, sincere, is unhypocritical. So, you, you could translate this. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for an unhypocritical love of the brethren. Paul said the same thing in Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Think about that. Let love be without hypocrisy says that you can love in a hypocritical way that's not genuine. And what Peter's telling us, Paul told us, don't pretend your love. Don't fake your love. Let it be sincere. When you think about this word hypocrite, you should think about an actor on a stage. Because really, that, is, that is what a hypocrite is. One who wears a mask. Their appearance on stage is all an act. And it's really not who they are. Now, some of you know that our children have been involved in this group here in Rockford called Christian Youth Theater. We've been happy with this group. It's given our children a lot of fun. They've learned a lot of things. Now, a few weeks ago, there was a, a play, a musical they put on called Robin Hood. And I know that some of you saw it. And in Robin Hood, one of the, one of the people who played in this was Lady Merle. 
Now, I'm not sure if you know the story of Robin Hood. I didn't really know who Lady Merle is. But Lady Merle is this stern, hard woman who's been given charge over Maid Marian, who is Robin Hood's love. And Lady Merle wants to see Maid Marian marry Prince John. It gets into all this kind of stuff. But anyway, Lady Merle is stern and mean and ruthless. And when I first saw her act for the first time, like in some dress rehearsals where some of the parents came, I asked Chris and my daughter afterwards, I said, Chris, and I took her on, I said, tell me about Lady Merle. Is, is, that, is that like how she normally is? Is that how she, because I, I thought so. And SR, is that how she normally is? You know her? No. Chris, just lash. <laughs> she is like the nicest, sweetest girl that you would ever know. But she had this chance to play this mean woman, and she was excellent at it. In fact, even in the um, whatever the strike party afterwards, she was given this award by the directors and stuff as the, the most outstanding actress. She was really good. I was convinced that she was this grumpy, mean teenager, you know, but she, she wasn't. She's this sweet, nice, well, she fooled me. And you can fool others in your love as well. If you play the hypocrite in your love, Peter's saying this, let your love be genuine. Let it be real. You know, hypocrisy is huge in the religious world. Jesus pointed this out repeatedly to the Pharisees. He said they love to act righteous before men. Sounding a trumpet before they give. It said, look at all the money I give. Standing in the street corners and praying for all the seed. Look at how righteous I am. I'm putting on a gloomy face so that when oh, what's wrong with you? He says, oh, I'm just fasting. Just serving the Lord. So they're hypocrites. They're putting on a show. What they have is just on the surface. It's not genuine. And Jesus hated their hypocrisy. He pronounced curses upon them. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup, but inside you're full of robbery and self-indulgence. So they looked good on the outside. They looked better than anybody else on the outside. But Jesus said, It's a show. It's just words. You are hypocrites. And I say this, Jesus hates your hypocrisy as well. He hates it when you put on a front that you're one thing, but in reality you're not. And when it comes to this area of loving the brethren, Peter tells us to love with a sincere love. John said it this way. He said, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Right? Don't, don't let your love just be, be words. Don't, don't pledge all these things and promise all these things that you're just saying them, but you're never doing them. If you're saying them, be doing them, is what he's saying. That's how you're not a hypocrite. Let our love be with our actions. I remember attending a, a wedding in California with our friends about... 13, 14 years ago. It was shortly after Yvonne and I were married and we had some friends back in um, California. And uh, we knew these people pretty well. In fact, Yvonne knew the, the bride very, very well. And for some reason at the reception, the bride's father was given uh, the microphone. Here he is all of a sudden standing in front of whatever it was, 300 people. And he picks up his microphone. He's got to say something. And so here's, here's what he says. comes out of his mouth. It was great. He says... Judy, his daughter, when I first saw you, it said something like this. I, the words aren't right. But when I first saw you in the wedding dress today, uh, you are so beautiful today, Judy. And, and my mind flashed back to 25 years ago. And he, he turned over here and looked at his wife. I remember, when I forget her name, when she was walking down the aisle with her father. The same beauty. I can see the resemblance. And, and I was stunned by your mother's beauty then. And she's just as beautiful to me now as she was on the wedding day. And I'm more in love with her than ever and ever before. And may your love for your husband be like my love for her. And may you know our happiness. And it sounds really good, right? But Yvonne and I both knew from talking with this gal that they were like having major marital problems. And they were hardly one and united. And a short time later, they were divorced. But this guy's love was before all people looked good. 
But on the back end, they were divorced. It was all a lie. Bold-faced hypocrisy. And Jesus said, your love ought not to be hypocritical. Your love for each other ought not to be a show, but let it be sincere. That's one characteristic of love. It ought to be a sincere love. Second characteristic is this. It ought to be a fervency. It ought to be a fervent love. Sincerity, fervency. See if you can see this in verse 22. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. There it is. Fervently love one another from the heart. Literally, this word means stretching. Stretching. Okay, take a picture of a rubber band and stretching it, right? You're applying some tension there. You are going beyond your convenience. You're going out of your way. You're going over and above. That's what, you, that's what Peter's saying. In your love for one another, go over and above. Go beyond your convenience as you love other people. Maybe remember the story when David was fighting the Philistines near Bethlehem. The Philistines had taken over Bethlehem. David was outside waging war, trying to regain Bethlehem. And while he was there, David had a craving. He said, Bethlehem, that's where I grew up. And I remember the water there. And oh, that I might just have a a drink of the water from the well in Bethlehem. Well, three of David's mighty men heard this. And you remember what they did? They broke in beyond the Philistines and they filled up their canteen or their cup or whatever they had. They filled it up and they brought it to David and said, David, here is your cup of the water you wished for from the well in Bethlehem. That's stretching love, isn't it? Risking death, taking them past their comfort zone, risking their lives because of their love for the commander-in-chief. David refused to drink the water, pouring it out, and saying, Far be it from me, Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of men who went in jeopardy of their lives? They were loving themselves so much that David was uncomfortable with their love. That's what stretching love is. I'm not worried. I don't. I don't deserve this kind of love. I can't even drink that water. That's genuine biblical love, way above and beyond the, the call of duty. Another good example of that is Esther. Through sovereign circumstance, she found herself to be wife of the king, and through another series of circumstances, the king had signed a decree. It was intended to destroy and kill and annihilate all the Jews, both young and old women and children, to seize their possessions as plunder. Esther, though being Jew, hadn't revealed it to the king. The king had decreed to destroy all her people. But Esther risked her own neck, risked her own life to come into the presence of the king, reveal her identity, and request that he rescind the edict at the risk of her life. I believe it was because Esther loved her people. That was a sign of fervent, stretching love. Going above and beyond the call of duty, so much so that someone else is uncomfortable with how much you're serving them and helping them. A good example took place this weekend. Many of you know I went to a father-son camp Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and it's continuing on right now even. Um, We came back early. Walnut... Point State Park, about four hours south of Rockford. Um, we're camping these past couple days, all right? If you guys want to toughen up your sons sometime, why don't you try that camping in November, right? And, uh, well, it was so cold when I was in the sleeping bag. I was telling someone uh, earlier that I, I slept in my, my clothes, two sweatshirts and my jeans and my socks, and, and um, I was covered up with a with a sleeping bag and at one point awoke to a freezing face. And it was a really strange feeling. Did you like your warm bed last night, SR? <laughs> I did too. It was a great time. About 500 fathers and sons were at this thing. It's a wonderful event. Massively organized. Bible teaching was great. It was a Christian activity. Activities enjoyable. We had a great canoe ride, kayak ride. Met people I knew there. One man, though, chased me down. And uh, 500 people across Illinois, I knew some of these people. One man chased me down. I knew him from DeKalb. He told me that his transmission, his car went out. And then he talked back home and he said he needed a car trailer. And um, so he said, 
I've talked with Doug Sosnowski, and he's got a car trailer. And he, quote me if I'm wrong, Doug, but this is totally consistent with your character. Doug said he'd come down and pick up the car for me and bring it back. You said that, huh? I'm sure he did. Because Doug is a guy, in his love, stretches and goes way beyond. Can you think about what that means? Four hours down, an hour pandering, picking it up, dropping it off, coming back. Is that stretching love? That is. I bring it up because that is consistent with Doug, is a good example of stretching love. He does it every week as he sets up for us. A model for us of what Peter is telling us. Stretchingly love one another from the heart. But you know what? It it did get to the point where Tony said, no, I don't feel comfortable with that. And he made other arrangements. I mean, when you stretch yourself and love someone so much so that they don't want that good thing that you're willing to serve, then it says, you know what? You've stretched beyond their comfort zone as well. And they feel awkward that you're serving them. How many times has that happened to you in recent days? How often have you stretched in your love for somebody? Yeah, I was stressed this morning. I got a call from somebody. He said, hey, my car is out. I need a jump. Right in the midst of the final preparations of things this morning. and I, You know what? Not a problem. I was stretched, though. But not a problem. I went out. It's just 20 minutes of inconvenience this morning. <laughs> I was glad I passed that test. But you know what? There's a lot of stretching tests that I don't pass. There's a lot of tests when I'm stretched in my love and I don't pass. A lot of it has to do with my kids a lot of times. Your kids will stretch you. They will challenge you in your love. And if you stretchingly love others like you're called to, you'll pass the test. People in the church will stretch your love too. And Peter calls us to stretch our love for other people. Over in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, he says exactly the same thing. So in a couple months, you'll hear the same message. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Stretch in your love for one another. Same word, ekteneo. Stretch in your love for one another. It calls us to extend beyond where we're comfortable. And isn't that just what Jesus taught? You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among robbers, stripped, beaten, left on the side of the road half dead. When the the priest and Levi came, they walked over on the other side. But the Samaritan went, picked him up, bandaged his wounds, took him, brought him to the inn, paid for whatever was there, said, if there's any other cost, I'll pay for it more. Now, do you think that was easy for the Samaritan to love in that way? Listen, it wasn't at all. It took huge sacrifice. Maybe he was on the way someplace. It inconvenienced him for several hours probably. He put him on his beast of burden is what it says. Rather than him riding along, he all of a sudden had to walk where he was going to go. And he took him back to this inn, cost him from his pocketbook. It stretched him. And Jesus said, that's how you ought to love others. Have you loved like this? Have you loved like this? That's what our call is. Because we've been born again, because we've been called to obedience, because we want to live pure lives, we will live and love unhypocritically and with, sense, with fervency. And here it is now, my third point, third characteristic of genuine love. We see authenticity. Sincerity. Fervency, authenticity. One last time, 1 Peter 1.22. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Authenticity is coming from these last three words. From the heart. I think with these words, Peter's getting at what deep down is genuine in your life, right? Your heart. You can't get any deeper in your soul than your heart. That's just like where it is. The deepest, the deepest you go is right there in your heart. And Peter says, make sure your love for others is authentic. It's a little bit like the first one. It's not hypocritical. It's true, genuine, all the way down. You can go to the lumber yard and purchase some boards. Some are oak boards. Some are oak veneer boards. The oak veneer is plywood with this thin 
layer of oak on the top, so it looks like oak. But if you're going to cut into it, you're going to find all of a sudden that it's just plywood. Well, Paul is, Peter is telling us here, you be true oak. Be oak all the way down to your core and love from a pure heart. He's not talking about a veneer of love. He's talking about a genuine love penetrates deep into your soul. And these words, by the way, demonstrate proof why regeneration is so necessary as a foundation to love. Right? Because at our hearts, we're sinners by nature. And we need to be transformed from the deep core of our heart to be one who genuinely loves. You know, much that passes for love in our day and age isn't love. Think about this. Think about someone who says, I love my car. What are they saying? They're saying, I love the way in which my car makes me happy. That's what they're saying. It smells new. It's clean. It accelerates quickly. It drives smoothly. gets gas mileage. And besides that, it makes me look cool. I love the way my car makes me happy. Or someone might say, I love that television show. Well, what they mean by that is, I love the way in which that television show makes me happy. When I watch the show, I can put my brain on pause for an hour. And an hour zips by like that. The show's funny, so it makes me laugh and feel good. I like that. The plot's always interesting, so it keeps my attention. The actresses are pretty. And the actors are handsome. I enjoy looking at them. I enjoy watching this. And what are they saying? I love that television show because that television show makes me happy. It satisfies my flesh. And many times this same definition of love passes over into our relationship. When a husband says, I love my wife. Oftentimes what he says, what he means is, I love my wife the same way I love my car because I love my wife because she makes me really happy. She cooks all my family meals. I find satisfying to my stomach. She cleans the house, makes it all nice. She takes care of the kids. She makes sure that they get to and from school, to and from soccer practice, to one of the birthday parties and the field trips. When it's time for bed, she really makes me happy. I love my wife. You know what? That's not love. You know what that's called? It's called idolatry. When you're seeking a God substitute, you're seeking something else other than God to make you happy, trying to get from your wife what God alone will provide for you. And then idolatry is exposed when your wife then stops doing one of these things that makes you happy. In such cases, there'll be conflict. Husband and wife will get upset at each other, right? You you want me to take Jimmy to the birthday party? <laughs> Tonight's my bowling night. I promised my friends I'd be out with them. It's your job to take the kids. And all of a sudden, what's happening? Wife isn't fulfilling her duties that made his life better to make him happy. And all of a sudden, he's just exposed. He's not loving his wife. His wife's an idol. Love stopped because she's not making him happy. Because she's just requesting, give up his night of bowling to spend it with the kids. It wasn't love in the first place. It was idolatry. And he was using her to make as a God to make him happy. It's not love. It's not love from the heart. Here's, here's what genuine biblical love says in a marriage relationship. I love my wife. There is nothing more in this world that I want than I want to make my wife happy. I want to make life easy for her. I want to do anything I can to please my wife. If it means I clean the dishes after every meal, I will gladly do that. If it means I need to help with vacuuming and dusting around the house... I will do that. If it means that I'm the one that does grocery shopping for this year, I will do that. If it means that um, I take the kids on all the school activities, I'll do that. If it means that I take good care of the house, I'll do it. When it needs painting, I'll paint it. When it needs sealing the cracks, I'll seal the cracks. I'll fix the windows. I'll apply the weather stripping. At work, I'll put forth 110%. Really work there so as to be able to provide for home that we might have everything. And when we're nice and warm in bed, if she says she wants the window open, I'll get out into the cold and open the window. If she wants the locks checked, I'll get out and check the locks. If she wants a drink, I'll get her a drink. Because in reality, I, lo- I exist to serve her and to make her happy. 
and my happiness will come when she is happy. I didn't mean to this, but I'm... <laughs> I'm looking at the congregation, and all the wives are like this. <laughs> and all the husbands are like this. <laughs> hey, I tell you, as so I've been thinking about this love thing, I, I've really asked myself, have I ever really loved? Because that's what genuine biblical love is. I mean... Everything I just said here, is that anything less than what Ephesians 5 says? Husbands ought also to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. I think everything I explained there is exactly what Paul said. I just put flesh on it. And among the brothers... Among the church, Peter says, fervently love one another from the heart. That's extending to the church. That's all of us. Oh, we won't have the intimacy of marital love, but we ought to have an intimacy of brotherly love among us. And here's what it means. It means that we ought to think of our existence as we exist to make others happy. We ought to have this attitude before other people. It says, I want to love you and serve you. Do you have a need? Do you have a car that needs towing? Do you have a car that needs jumping? Do you have a house that needs cleaning? Do you have a lawn that needs mowing? Whatever it is. Do you need me to teach you something? Do you need me to help you with something? Do you need to help with your kids? Do you need to help with... Parents, you help with your whatever. I exist to serve you and to make you happy. My time is your time. I love you and I want to serve you. That's what Peter calls us to this morning. That's a characteristic of genuine love. Sincerity, fervency, authenticity. And I just ask, are these things true in your life? And it may be because, if they're not true in your life, it may be because the foundation is the problem. So focus on the foundation if you don't see these things in your life. Focus on your own regeneration, right? You need to be born again, changed by God. Focus on your obedience to God. Say, God, yes, I love you. I need to, I want to obey you. Because you're my Lord. You're my sovereign master. I'm your slave. I want to do what you tell me. Help me. Give me the strength and power to do that. I want to walk a pure and holy and sanctified life. You shall be holy, for I am holy. That's what I want, God. And a life that's holy will be a life that loves with sincerity, fervency, and authenticity. Let me just pray. Lord, I pray for these things to be true in our lives. Uh, I pray that the end of this instruction today might be love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. We're not sufficient for this love, God. And yet I would pray that you would Make us sufficient. Help us and serve us in all ways. I pray in Christ's name.